Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com, hosted by Jura Lee. Today, we're delving into the innovative, innovative world of Scoot Boots, uh, an Australian company that's redefining horse hoof care with their alternative to traditional metal horse shoes. shoes. Honored with the e-commerce exporter of the year award at the 61st Australian Export Awards, Scoot Boot has made significant strides under the leadership of former Ferrier and co-founder David McDonald and CEO Annette Katinis. I hope I got the last name correct. Um, <laughs> expanding into 100 countries, they've highlighted the global demand for their thermoplastic under uh, urethane boots designed for optimal horse comfort and hoof health. So without further ado, let's welcome David and Annette to the show to dive deeper into the story of Scoot Boots and a remarkable journey to the equine industry. So for full disclosure, I used to be a horse rider, which is why I'm very, very interested in this story. So how are you guys doing today from beautiful Hobart? So I was there as well in October. I love Hobart as well. So how are you guys today? We're, we're doing well. It's our last day for the year of work. So, All right. so we'll go to Santa Claus <laughs> on his way. So we've got to make some room for him. <laughs> awesome. So let's start with a really, really easy question for Annette. What was the journey of Scoot Boot from concept to market? And what were the initial steps taken to its establishment? So basically, how did you get your start? What was the problem that you wanted to solve? Yada, yada, yada. Okay. Well, there was no problem that I wanted to solve at the outset. I was a practicing barrister in Melbourne and I came back to Tasmania where I was born and raised. Uh, and I reconnected with Dave, who was a, a farrier of mine many years ago. And Dave at that point in time had just trialed a prototype which he had designed and he was looking for a business partner. And so, at that point in time, after doing my due diligence, as most lawyers do, I agreed to continue the journey with Dave and um, get this product out there into the world. So how far back was this? That was 2014. Okay, yeah. 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 Mm, so um, we took some time to get the product well, to commercialise the product, and in 2015, in April, we then launched. Wow, alrighty. So it's almost 10 years in a couple of days, right? So, uh, okay. yep. Yep, no. Yep. Uh, yeah, okay. So, okay, David, let's go to David. Can you provide the details about the initial investments and financial uh, backing that helped launch Scoot Boot? So this is a question that most e-commerce um you know when you start right how much do you have to set aside because you, you know the first two years of any e-com business right you're burning cash like two years of burning cash before you get a sale or before you break even so how much did you set aside uh in comparison with your livelihood the rent and you know every other thing that you needed to pay so what what was the thinking behind that well when you first start obviously you've got to 
uh, allow enough uh, development. You've got patents is the first thing because you can't, once you put the prototype together, it's got to be patented. You've got to obviously have your protection. Then you've got to, once you get the, the product actually working, then you've got to, you've got to spend a lot of time with uh, manufacturing research. Luckily, I had good contacts in Jakarta that I could utilise for this new project. So I went to Jakarta, we started the prototyping process. And then, um, as most people that's been in this sort of business understands, once you actually get the product, then you've got to have supply. So we were very lucky the way we went about it in the first place that we got supply uh, sort of infrastructure in place before we really launched to the world. But as Annette will say later on, we day one really we went through the international market because um, knowing the market, we knew the demands are out there. We knew that the product was, um, was going to be very popular because it's a revolutionary product. And so, yeah, so from day one, we knew, we knew exactly where we were going. There's no guesswork involved. So did you still hold on to your day jobs or were you out of your jobs and uh, doing this full time? How was that? Yeah, basically uh, a little bit of day job and but mostly um, a lot of tra traveling initially with the work liaising with the manufacturer. So yeah, really from day one, you, you focused on your product. You can't take your, you know, you can't, spend too much time doing other in other areas when you focus. I had a bit of a crossover, so I was still practicing, even though I was in Tasmania, I was still practicing at the bar in Victoria. So I would travel over once a week and do a couple of appearances and then uh, in court and then come back. But primarily I was working seven days a week essentially to try and get the product ready to launch. And Dave had a couple of, Dave had an e-commerce business at the time uh, and was selling some equine products. But um, when Scoot Boot took off and got it, we both got of us, both of us got extremely busy. So we had to, I stopped practicing and Dave um, came in full time at so that what, time. Did you have any external investors pumping in money for the, you know, the travel and the, how much was the cost like in the? No. We didn't have any external investors. We did it ourselves. Um, and we were lucky that the product was uh, very, very much sought after right at the start. So the profits that we generated uh, from the outset helped us, of course, uh, produce more products. We started with eight sizes. We've now got around 40. So all our profits and, and revenue were going straight back into the business so that we could expand. So no, we had no external funding at all. We, we had funding by way of grants from various um, stakeholders and government entities and departments, but um, we really just funded it ourselves. And I think probably that the, the, we both, well, we know it from day one, we both knew that this product is going to be successful. So it wasn't as if you're taking a big gamble um, this gamble, any sort of business venture is a gamble, basically, but not to the extent that we knew the market um, and we were confident that investing in this product 
um, we're going to have success with it. Mm. And it, and it shaped very early yeah. that that was the case. And especially in Europe, because Europe was miles ahead in relation to barefoot movement, as opposed to shoeing a horse. And so in Europe, we knew the market would be huge there to a lesser extent to in America. But fast forward eight years since we launched, the um, market has re the barefoot market has really sped up in America and gained huge momentum. So our market will eventually be primarily in America um, rather than Europe, I would think, because there's so many more horses in America. But um, it's you know it's a market that we knew we could tap into straight away. Okay, so when you started, you said something about Jakarta. So I presume it's overseas made with an Australian touch. Is it still the same, or is it one hundred percent Aussie made now? Yeah, it's uh, it's we manufacture in Jakarta. Um, all our all our international majority international uh, sales go directly out. Of ex we export out of Jakarta. Into, rather than bring them back to Australia. Mm -hmm. We do bring a certain quantity back to Australia for our warehouse here, but the majority goes direct from the, the factory. Our, our, our factory essentially is our 3PL. So we're 90% wholesale. So most of our wholesale orders will go out of Jakarta. We look after the retail market here in Hobart. So we just stock retail product and wholesale product for the market in Australia. But essentially we're wholesale and very small component is retail B2C. So when you started in, uh, when you started going there early on, David, I just wondered if you speak any Indonesian because uh, were you conversing in English? How did this work? You how, how did you start? Like, did you go online to find them? Because Indonesia, most of the stuff is in Indonesian. The English is very little, little there in those days in 2014. Now it's different. So, what? How did you do this? Oh well, I'd previously been over. To, I'd met these um, gentlemen in in Jakarta many years earlier through previous some previous manufacturing, and uh, so I had the contacts to start with, and that's how I, I and they 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 speak they obviously speak fairly good English. It's different degrees in the in their teams there, but managers got very fluid English the the 3d operator the ones we do all the designing through he's he can speak English but it's broken English so yeah we get by okay my my uh, speaker my Indonesia is not not very common <laughs> oh, okay but there is but you can speak a bit you can speak English I just say a, a few words yeah but yeah um, but yeah, we usually we rely on their ability, and sometimes there's been little uh, there's been a, a bit of an interpretation issue, uh, and that's why it was vital that, to be over there in the initial stages to be able to physically demonstrate what was required until they got a grasp on it. Once they got a grasp on it, they're very clever. Um, so once they got a grasp of it, then, then it was pretty straightforward. Okay, so one last question on the startup of your business before we move to the technical question of the boots itself. So when you start a new business, right, getting market to sell your product is one of the hardest thing because, um, yeah, your new pool want to buy you, you know, because, so what was your strategy in the beginning? Were you giving out free scoot boots for horsemen to try out and then hoping that they give you the good name, your word of mouth, or were you 
you selling from the get-go? What was your initial strategy in selling your product? The initial strategy was using social media. So we really sprung from our social platform when we first launched. So we spent a good eight months just um, working up, um, well, I shouldn't say working the market up to a frenzy, but we were getting people very interested in our product and our Facebook followers increased by the day. So by the time we did launch, we had quite a large following and word of mouth across the globe that um, Scoop Boots were launching very soon. And then um, we had a, a small advertising agent, or I should say a digital marketing agency at the outset who assisted us. And we then worked out a very, very basic marketing strategy to get us going, a lot different to what we do now, but uh, we really couldn't spend a lot of money and resources on marketing because we simply didn't have the we didn't have the funds to do that so but you know, we were very lucky because we had a product that was very much in demand from day one when we launched so and it just snowballed from there we grew very much organically um 30 year on year without really not having much of a, a, a marketing budget behind us so you probably had timing. Our timing was probably good there too because there was an, an advent of, um, um, of the barefoot uh, people. The barefoot movement was starting to crank up worldwide, so there was a demand if people were going to take their metal shoes off. Because a lot of research had gone into the damage of, to the hoof capsule through metal and. So people saying, okay, if I'm going to take my metal shoes off, they've been driven with all this education, then what am I going to use instead of metal? And that's where we came along, which is good timing with the advent of the barefoot movement worldwide, which is rapidly growing. And that that's obviously a great, um, that's the best ambassador for your, for your product. And as you know, you had horses. Horse people love to chat about their horses. So... Um, it's a word spreads pretty quickly in that in that area and you did mention about um sponsoring riders using our product we did give away a lot of free product right at the outset and still do by the way we sponsor and get behind a lot of organizations associations events we sponsor events that are taking place across the globe every day but we did um, give away a lot of complimentary product just so that it could get out there on the trails. People could see it, touch it, feel it, look at how it's working, performing, and that's uh, the way we really started our advertising by just getting our product out there for all different types of riding discipline, in all different types of riding discipline. Yeah, okay. So I have been a horse walker and I do see um, it's very cruel. The traditional metal horse uh, shoes, right? It's very cruel thing because you need to hit a nail to get it in if I'm, if I'm, and it's really, really uh, sad to see. So you did, okay. So in what ways does your product uh, that use uh, thermoplastic uterine, can you explain what that is? In school, it offers advantages over traditional metal uh, horses. Uh, uh, Horseshoes. So, what is the what is the benefit, like basically using crossing over to your product? Well, as we know, the the, the research has gone into human footwear, 
So over the years, back at the turn of the the turn of the the twentieth uh, century, everybody had hobnail boots. Mm. Okay, but then because they had metal nails in the boots on the soles, a big thick. So it was a pretty it was a necessary item, obviously the boots. But over the last hundred years, especially like Nike and Adidas, all these big major American brands and European brands, Reebok and so forth, they put all this research into human footwear to make them as comfortable as possible. And yet in the equine world, we were slapping on, we're putting metal mm. on their feet. Mm. So it just didn't make sense. Mm. Why should humans have a shock absorbing footwear where the horses still had metal? Mm. And it was in uh, 1982, a dissertation was done in Zurich in Switzerland about the, the the damage that the concussion caused by a metal shoe. And this scientist called Luca Bean, he did a dissertation where he said that a, a shod horse at a walk on pavement surface has three times as concussion as a barefoot horse at a trot on the same surface. So that was that was a dissertation that was proven and so Suddenly, this information say to people, okay, metal is doing this to your feet. Why not seek out the same comfortable footwear that absorbs concussion like human? And hence, that's where we came into the horse boots. Then we had to find a material that was that would absorb concussion because there's no point putting a boot on that's not going to absorb concussion after because that's the reason for the movement. And so this particular material was researched different sorts of material that abrasive qualities as well because as you know a horse is a very big strong animal very heavy and a lot of friction on those feet and so if you're going to bring out a product it had to be able to absorb the force that by the weight weight movement of a horse and so that's where um all research into the best products um were done and then that's where we end up using what's called a thermoplastic urethane which you said earlier which has got high shock absorption qualities abrasion qualities so these are the um these are necessary uh components when you're dealing with weight and movement of the horse okay so how does good wood enhance the overall health and comfort of a horse compared to conventional horseshoes. You might have touched on that, but maybe if you can give me one distinctive, uh, you know, uh, advantage of using your product. Yeah, well, when a horse's hoof loads up on the ground, as the bony column descends down into the hoof capsule, when a horse is galloping or cantering, all this, this up to 70% of the body weight is coming down on the front feet. Mm. So the foot has to flex to allow that bony column to descend down into the hoof capsule, has to flex to be functional. As soon as you put a metal shoe, yeah. you're caging that foot, you're restricting that foot. Oh. So the entire weight is loading up on a metal rim. And that's the devastating thing for the hoof capsule. You're getting, okay. instead of the, the, the weight being taken over the entire surface of the sole of the foot, it's only landing on a perimeter, it's what we call peripheral loading. So the entire mechanism of the hoof is compromised. Uh, uh, circulation is damaged. Flexion, flexing of the hoof capsule is damaged. Hence, the horses continually shot in up with a contracted hoof. The pathologies within the hoof capsule that create long-term lameness issues. 
So it's just the physics, total physics, that a barefoot flexes where a metal shod foot tries to flex. You get a little bit of movement in the heel area yeah. of the on the metal shoes where you get a bit of wear, but the entire foot is restricted. And that's the damning things of long-term metal shoeing. But over the centuries, it's just been a temporary fix to make a lane walk comfortable. And we try and convey that to everyone out there, all the equine and I always say this, we just don't sell a product, but we try and let everyone know, you know, this is what's happening. There's a better alternative now, and we have that alternative. And and people are starting to listen and realise, you know, this is, you know, something that is so much better for the horse. Yeah. Good example of that one, a really good example that came earlier on, that the Houston Mounted Police in, in Texas, USA, they... All their horses are out, as you, as you can imagine, all police horse units out on the pavement all day long. They're all having significant issues with the sounds of their horses. So, uh, a, a very forward-thinking uh, uh, sergeant in the police force, Greg Skolskowski, he decided to go and venture down this barefoot over and do some exploration in it, and he found a huge difference. They're saving up to a hundred thousand US a year on veterinary bills. Mm. Their horses went barefoot because, as you probably imagine, that a police horse it takes they only get the older horses, they've got to be about nine years old basically. There's the prime age for a police horse because they're settled, they've been well educated, and they can do anything with them. But if they've got metal shoes on, they're mm. breaking down. So you spend all this money training a horse, then you've got to retire because he's lame. Whereas the barefoot horse with a lot longer career, the business, the the, the, the Houston um, Council, uh, the, the now the police, the actual the administration are saving a hundred thousand dollars just in one police force. So it's the evidence is there, uh, and that move, it, it, the movement is rapidly gaining traction. And it's as Annette touched, it's all about education. We've got to educate the customer out there. There's a lot of traditions. We don't don't want to go down that track. There's a lot of money involved doing horses and supplying metal horseshoes and nails worldwide. So there's been a bit of pushback from there, but it's rapidly changing. Okay, so I am looking at the product right now and I just wondered, does this product come with a um expiry date or can you use it forever? Because the metal boots, the metal thing that we I was talking to you about, that one is long lasting, even though it's very cruel, it's long lasting. And no, yeah, it's Shoes only last five to six weeks because you need to take them off to trim the horse. And a lot of the times, if you've done a lot of riding, that metal would have worn down to, to barely nothing. I'm right there. Dave's a farrier, not me, by the way. Um, but our product lasts for approximately 1,000 Ks. So if you're doing a few Ks a week, they're going to last two years. It depends on how much riding you do and, of course, how heavy the horse is and the type of gait and the type of terrain but lasts a lot longer than a shoe because the shoe, once you take the shoe off, it's not set, it's not put back on. A new shoe is put back on. So you need a new shoe, new shoes every five to six weeks. Mm. So 100K yeah. is for, can you uh, enlighten me there? 100K is for 100? Uh, a thousand Ks. thousand Ks or what? Uh, going around? Yep, 1,000 kilometres in. Oh, uh, a thousand, okay. Yeah, right, right on rocky trails. Uh, sealed highways, 
like to call them pavements in the US. Um, any of those sort. Of, the other thing too is the traction. Very dangerous mm. riding on in the UK, for instance. They ride down what they call bridleways on their little around their little country town. It's all it's all steel pavement there. It's very dangerous, very slippery on the metal shoes. So being able to have a a, a boot which has got traction on all surfaces is a lot safer and prevents a lot of serious injuries. This is why I can't understand too. There are so many mounted um, mounted horses all across the globe. And I think the biggest percent of them still wear steel and it's so dangerous and so slippery. It's like a horse, when a horse takes chase, it's like cantering on an ice rink or running on an ice rink. Uh, and <laughs> one day, hopefully they'll realize so okay so you can um how does how do you sell this product you package them five in one box or is it individual how does how does the sale like how do you sell it we, we sell sell them in tote bags uh-huh and is it in bags or you have a, a bunch of them in in one uh in one uh, bag together in a box or how do you sell them individually just a pair in a tote bag with accessories Oh, okay. That's how you sell it. So, if somebody wants to buy it on a like they have a personal horse, right? So they would buy it for um how how do they buy it? Like uh, probably six pieces a year, and as compared to someone who's like, working in the police force and they want to buy it for all their horses. So how how does the how does the sale work for that? Number one is the horse has got to be sized correctly. Oh. So, before you even think about buying boots, you got to you know, you got to work out the size of your horses' hooves, and that that's our biggest, like, probably one of our biggest issues worldwide is ensuring correct sizing. So you so, go in and give them the you give them consultation, or how does this work? Like, yeah, we got a very, from day one. We went down. We set up our own personal sizing team where you actually take different sort angled photos. You send them into scoop boot and we size your horse up. And now as the years have gone by, we've got our stockers who, who are hoof trimmers and giving up their traditional jobs and becoming hoof trimmers. And they're learning how to, with sizing kits, how to size people's horses up so they can do on, on site sizings. And that's one of our pain points in our business. And recently we designed and developed in um, collaboration with ISW here in Hobart, Tasmania, Australia, a sizing app. Uh, we have launched it on the app um, Apple shop, yeah, Apple Store, but we still have a few little problems to iron out. And once we do that, we'll then advertise that this sizing app is available. But it will just make the process a little bit easier for the customer, for the end user. But eventually, there'll be a lot of iterations of this app, and eventually, hopefully they'll be able to size themselves. But until then, we incentivize the sizing because we want to make sure that everyone gets into the right size and they have the optimum fit. So we have the after-sales service as well with our sizing team. So our sizing team will advise what size to take. We incentivize it by free sizing, free um, shipping. Trade, free shipping and also free exchange in the event they need to let me get this here. So I'm interested. I have a horse, a personal horse, and I see this podcast. I want to buy your product. So I send an email and then I send you photos and then you size it up for free. And then um and then what happens? Like how does the how does the sale take place? 
They place an order. So our e-commerce site is transactional. So all they need to do is head up to the shop and place the order with the size that we have advised them to purchase. And then they should receive delivery depending on where they are in the world within a week from placing the order. Okay, surely you must have competitors. You've been in the market for 10 years. I'm sure somebody would have copied the idea. Do you have competitors? It's only eight years we've been in the market. Oh, sorry, eight no, years, sorry. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah we've, got, we've got competitors out there. There's people people coming online all, all the time with a new, new type of product. But with patents, there's only so many ways you can patent a, a boot. We've had a couple of uh, competitors that try to copy us as close as they can uh, with some of their with their design but um so far we, we believe uh, we've got the premium product mm. due to our strong patent protection yeah we are only the only company in australia that produces hoof boot and there are probably eight areas across the globe who um who do the, who got the produce of the... a hoof boot mm. and as dave said we've our patent claims are quite strong and we've filed those claims across the globe. So there's really not much, uh, if anyone is wanting to produce a hoof boot, not much they can do or if they can't actually improve our boot at all or improve a hoof boot because we've got our claims protected. But, of course, you know, yeah. they can easily infringe the claim, but, you know, we'll certainly be coming after them if they do. <laughs> So, okay, you can buy one, a minimum one, one yeah. piece. Okay, and what is the, so how is the, um, can you tell me about the, the, how many do you produce out of uh, Indonesia? Like if you could, if you could uh, divulge the, those, those um, figures, but if you can't, it's fine. But I'm just wondering how, uh, how, how you, how, how many you produce in a year? Okay. Well, we've got 10,000, we, 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 we don't disclose that sorts of information for competitors information, but we've 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 obviously we're rapidly rapidly increasing our, our production um, as the market's rapidly growing. We we've got almost a thousand stockers that have registered with us. Uh, I think six hundred of which are active, but we've got stockers across the globe. So we and we're constantly looking at new markets to enter, analysing those markets to see whether we should enter. Um, but, you know, we're, we're growing every day and there are new stockists that register without making application to become stockists every day. So, you know, we're, we're scaling up. We're preparing to scale up in America for next year. We've just uh, just signed up a distributor. So we're going to be kept very busy as well as our manufacturer. Because we haven't just got a, it's not just a riding boot, we also got um, scoot boots are used as a therapeutic boot, uh, used as a spare tyre for people who determine to keep shoeing. Well, when they lose a shoe, they can put the put a boot on to keep riding. So, yeah, so it's a multi, multi-purpose boot, not, yeah, so not yeah. just a riding boot. Yeah, sorry. Also, we're just entering into a new market as well, and that's Rainers. So I don't know whether you know what a Rainer is, but um, it's quite a big riding discipline in America and also Europe. And it's you've probably seen it on, what's that show? Um, 
Yellowstone. Yellowstone. <laughs> Where they slide to a stop. They're working animals, cutting horses, but um, they do a lot of stop work and slide to a stop. So they use sliders on the rear of their hooves. And our boot is the only boot in the world that can actually fit over a slider. It's called a sliding shoe. And it means that a lot of these horses are able to to head out on the trails using our product because they won't slide. They can't normally do that with sliders on because there's a real chance of sliding and injuring the horse. There are a lot of horses that are confined to stables. They can now be turned out using our product so they don't injure themselves and also transporting. So it's a, it's a big market that we're just about to enter into, which is going to solve a problem for those horses that are wearing sliders. So we're really excited about that. Yeah, a lot of those horses have to get out on the trails now. So I just want to ask you a question. It's probably a naughty question, but what's the reason? Why hasn't this product been an Australian-made product? Is there any reason, any challenges you'd like to talk about in the podcast? challenges with manufacturing here in Australia. Cost. It's cost prohibitive. We do produce some of our accessories here in Tasmania, but yeah, it's unfortunately, it's just cost prohibitive for us. All the, all the manufacturers, all our competitors manufacture in Asia, there's probably one, there's only one uh, that is likely made in the US, but uh, the majority Majority of all uh, all our competitors manufactured throughout Asia. And Europe. Yeah. All right. So, how is winning the e-commerce Exporter of the Year award influenced Goodwood in terms of brand visibility and future business prospects? So, basically, when you win this award, right? Basically, how does it help your business? Well, I think it just elevates us onto the national mar international market. It um, provides us with a lot of credibility in relation to what we do. It also provides a platform for us to talk about the welfare of horses and the benefits of going barefoot and using our product. And it's a prestigious award. It's, uh, it's an award that takes some time to prepare when you're making application. It's almost like you're doing a due diligence on your business to make sure that it's operating efficiently. And to have won this award, I mean, we export to around 100 countries now, and that's a major feat. You know, we enter into some markets where it's very expensive and there are problems like there are customs problems, border problems, um, remote areas that we need to get our product into. So it can be quite challenging. So to be recognised, as the Australian e-commerce exporter of the year, with all these challenges that we face, is it's it's a, a great award to win, and we're very appreciative that Austrade puts on these awards, and we're appreciative of all the sponsors that get behind the awards, and um, to have won is just something that we'll always be happy about and we'll always celebrate. Very, very humble to have won this award. Yeah, congratulations from us. So that's all that we have for today. Um, the episode of 30 Minutes with DadyStraits.com. A big thank you to David and also Annette uh, from Spoodwood for their insightful conversation, especially how to start a business from scratch and keep it, you know, going and thriving. So thank you so much. Yeah. For can I just also add that we've got an amazing team. So without the team, we would never be where we are today. So um, they they do an amazing job. So how many how many people are behind your backbone? Like now you 
just uh, you started two of you, but how many do you have right now? Have a, um, around 16 employees at the moment, but that's we're recruiting in the new year, another three or four. So, and we're bursting at the seams. So we're looking at buying the next door neighbour warehouse next door. So, um, hopefully in the new year we'll have more people and more space. So. Awesome. All right. So uh, to our listeners, I'll just continue that again. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, so, uh, any uh, last words from David and Annette for anyone who's struggling to continue their journey on their e-com business? Can you, would you like to say anything? You've got to have, my side of things, you've got to have 100% one, belief in your product and then the world's your oyster. Yeah, absolutely. Find a niche and you believe see. in your product and be passionate about it. And look around for some help. There's so many resources out there. There's Austrade. Uh, there's just a lot of resources out there that you can tap into that will help you along your way. So the Aussie industry as well, which I think is rebranded to something. Else. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, be passionate about your product and a lot of hard work. Awesome. Yeah. Creates drive. Passion creates drive. Yeah, passion creates drive. Awesome. All right. Thank you for your time today. This is 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com, and I am your host, June Romney. Thank you. Thanks, Thank June. You. Thanks for having us.